It's great to see you all here this morning. I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Andrew Klink, Allie's brother. And this morning we, uh, we were going to, yeah, you can clap for him. Because, <laughs> because we were going to be without a drummer this morning. So Allie has a great sister called her brother. What are you doing? Get out of bed. So he came and he's here with us. So we love that. And uh, it's awesome. I just want to take a moment in the craziness of life just to sit in the presence of God. He says where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there. And so we know that the presence of God Almighty is here. So I just want to take a moment to breathe and to sit in the presence of God and just um, go before him and acknowledge his presence. So everybody just take a moment to, to pray and ask God to open your heart uh, to what he has to say to you today. And um, just ask that he would be glorified um, from, from what we do here. So just pray for a moment by yourself. God, we thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that Jesus came um, out of glory to be a man, um, to be man and God. Um, we th we're thankful that he identifies with us. We're thankful that we can rest in your presence. Uh, Father, we want you to be glorified this morning. Please speak to our hearts and change uh, what needs changing, God. Thank you that we are a process that you keep working on us, God. Thank you for salvation. That we can be free and, and that we can rest in you. We love you, God, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing the next few songs, the offering is going to come around. There's actually two offerings, and the second is our building pledge funds for the, for the month. Um, we're going to start by singing Hallelujah, What a Savior, and just focus our, our minds and our hearts on this man called Jesus who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and come out of glory to die for us. sorrows what a name for the son of God who came through sin to reclaim hallelujah what a sin Good morning, and uh, today we have a few special announcements. Uh, first of all, we just want to announce that we're having another Creekside U, as we're calling it, like we did in April, where we just have an opportunity on a couple of Sunday nights to go deeper into the doctrines of the Word of God, the Bible. And so the next two Sunday evenings here at Creekside, we're going to do a, a university-like course on uh, apologetics. Uh, which doesn't mean we're apologizing for anything. It just means that we're having a, uh, an answer ready to, uh, for the faith that is within us. And so we're going to be talking about those things, um, how the Bible came to be, uh, defending the Genesis 1 account of creation. So it's going to be exciting. There's going to be some snacks available, um, a supervised play area for kids upstairs. So come the next two Sunday nights from 6 to 8 o'clock. Um, also, next Sunday is our quarterly missions offering, so I just want to present that. A few slides to you here on our missionaries that we're supporting, uh, so if we can go ahead here. So we're, we're reaching around the world, supporting those who have been called to full-time missions uh, through this offering, and we've got some of Peru, the Tuttles, uh, the Cohens, and Uganda, the Akins, and Romania, 
And I've got a little picture of Bob Vaughn on there because, uh, you know, we, we think of, you know, maybe sometimes just supporting missionaries out on the field, but uh, we have people right here in our church going out and doing missions work, and so there's a trip to Haiti later this fall, so we want to be thinking of them and praying for them as well. Um, and then a dot out there, which I'm going to announce this morning. So let's keep going. Uh, so just kind of a snapshot. Last time we supported uh, Dana Georgiana Aikens, Romania, Micah and Amy Tuttle in Peru, Bob and Sue Cohen in Uganda, and these are people we've had a long-time relationship with that we've invested deeply with. Um, and then also last time we sent some funds to help with the earthquake relief in Nepal. On the next couple slides here, uh, so Nepal again between China and India, kind of giving you that visual there. And then there was two organizations that we sent some funds to. We, we were able to, through our offering, to send about $900 to each of these organizations, which was just fantastic. Uh, one to, to World Relief, providing shelter and water and sanitation and food. Uh, you know, there was about 8,500 people who died as a result of that earthquake and many more homeless and without sanitation. Uh, and then the other one was Samaritan's Purse, uh, who also sends doctors into that area. Uh, so, but we're not done with through the Lord's sovereignty and providence, he, uh, this past month, brought into our paths again uh, kind of a, a long-lost son from the past who grew up in our youth group and was saved and uh, is now, and he's always had this burden to go into missions and is finally going out into the missions field uh, about 15 years after his uh, salvation. And, and that's Matt Deaver, who we heard from in June here. And so the elders uh, really felt a burden to support Matt and Trista on a regular basis, we, we feel like they're a part of us and grew up here and, and uh, we really wanna be a part of their ministry. And so Matt, again, just to remind you, uh, is gonna be involved in preaching the gospel, one-on-one -on -one discipleship, leadership training, and, and kind of interestingly, water distribution. He can't just go in as a missionary, as he told us. They have to have some kind of other occupation. And so he's, uh, one of the things he's gonna be doing is setting up more of a water purification plant so they're giving them clean water and also providing jobs for the people, which he said were the two biggest needs in that country. Uh, so then on the next slide here, um, he talked about, well, these water filtration kits cost about $1,000. And that kind of got me thinking, you know, um, wouldn't that be neat if we here at Creekside could reach around the world through their ministry and provide one of these water filtration kits over there, the, the Creekside filtration kit. I don't know, maybe we can get our name on it. That'd be kind of cool. But here's Matt uh, on site there with these guys. And then on the next slide, you get a little closer look at, you know, these treatment uh, equipment that they have. So it's really neat. They produce a lot of clean water. And then I think we'll be able to show just a one-minute clip on this next slide here if it works right. Oh, shoot, it's upside down. Okay, so we're here okay. with Paul Lomi at uh, Children's Home. And Paul, could you just tell us about the Children's Home a little bit and what what happens here? Uh, yeah, uh, nice, nice to meet you. So uh, this is our uh, hostel, a kind of home. So we have about 21 children, uh, both uh, girls and boys, they are mixed here. And on the lower floor, we have boys, and on the middle floor, we have uh, girls. So uh, usually in our so community or in our uh, country, we don't have safe water drinking system. Like people drink uh, the well water or somewhat like the boring water. And many people, they get into the tap and they drink it without filtering. So uh, when uh, we see this, uh, when we get this from our brothers, 
So we are really happy and I think uh, this system will really be effective in our society and it will really help us so that we will be free from diseases. And we are very much thankful to our brother's team and thank you for everyone for helping us so that we can get very clean water and purified water free from germs. So we are really happy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. It, that's neat, you know, right there on site. This guy is just so thankful that we're providing these filtration kits for them. And this one in particular set up over a boys and girls home. I don't know if you could hear that real well, but that, that's pretty neat. Uh, and then I think we've got one more slide here maybe. Okay, so I just wanted to point out real quick, and this is your missions uh, class for the day, uh, that this area of the world that we're talking about here is in what's called the 1040 window. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it's this rectangular box over this part of the world where it's between 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitude where these countries are in the most unreached areas with the gospel of the world. And so it's kind of neat, you know, some of the other missionaries we're talking about supporting are in areas that are more reached, but having a ministry in this right in the middle of this 1040 window in a very Hindu country, something like 82, 83% of Hindu and most of the rest of it is Buddhist. So very, very few Christians. And so it's neat, we're reaching around with Matt and Trista here supporting them, but we're also reaching into this 1040 window with the gospel. Uh, which is pretty cool. And some of these other pictures here are some of the other missionaries we've supported in the years, over the years in, the, in this area here. And now Matt and Trista uh, right in the middle of that. And I think I got maybe one more slide here. So how about our next missionary? <laughs> Could it be you? Uh, here's a picture of Matt along with Seth Arkenbright from their missions trip in 2000 on which Matt got saved. And now here Matt is 15 years later going out to the field. So just something to think about and consider that Maybe the Lord would be calling someone here uh, to missions someday. So that's pretty neat to think about that. And in, in the meantime, not everybody is called to go to missions. Uh, we're all called to serve Jesus Christ here with whatever spiritual gifts and opportunities come to us in this church and in the community. And, and we need people to do that. We need people to help with the WANA that's coming up, uh, people to be involved with small groups and, and all kinds of ministries. Uh, we also need leadership in the church. We need people to serve as elders to be the spiritual leaders of the church. Uh, we need deacons who come in with a servant's heart and serve the body of Christ. And so a few weeks ago, we announced that uh, we had a candidate as a deacon, Ken Taylor. And uh, this morning, we were, we were gonna recognize Ken, if Ken, if you'd come up here, officially as a deacon. And, and just remember again that a deacon is just a servant. Uh, in Acts 6, uh, there was a, a problem that arose in the church. There was a need that came up and the spiritual leaders, the apostles, uh, didn't have time to devote to this particular need. They needed servants who could dedicate themselves to this work so that the church would flourish. And so that's what a deacon is. The word even just means servant. And in, and in a way, we're all deacons. We're, in a way, we're, we're just servants. But some are called especially to dedicate themselves to, uh, to the service of a deacon in the church. And, and we want to pray over Ken and recognize him and, and commend him to the Office of Deacon here in the church, and, and Ken, did you want to share something this morning too? I do feel led to serve in this capacity, but I'm going to need your prayers because uh, uh, it's a learning process for me. I mean, I've been involved in the church uh, congregation for many, many years, but feel comfortable calling upon me. I'll try to respond to God's, God's will. Uh, in an effort to serve uh, in his service. 
Well, thanks, Ken. And um, any elders who are here are free to join me in praying over Ken as we lay hands on him this morning, as they did in Acts 6. They laid hands on the, these men to commend them to the service of the Lord. And uh, so we want to do that here this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our brother Ken. And over the past few years of knowing him, I just know he has a, a strong servant's heart. And I just thank you for that. I thank you, thank you that he's a man of high moral character who meets the requirements of a deacon. A man who just loves to serve, uh, who doesn't need to be up front, who doesn't need to be in the limelight, who just wants to serve and put his hands to work uh, for your kingdom. And we just thank you for him, and we just pray you'd bless him and give him the strength and energy and the help he needs to do his ministry well. We commend him to you as a deacon in Jesus' name. Amen. Our mission statement is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. And when I hear about missions in the world, um, that is involved in that. And we want to be um, supporting missions around the world. Um, but I also want you to look around, look next to you at every empty seat in this room. Right? That's our mission. If you're, if you feel, if you're a believer, actually... That's your mission, right? The empty seat next to you is your mission, which could be a coworker, it could be a, um, a neighbor, it could be somebody that you currently hate right now. It just gets under your skin. But what do we do? I always say this to my kids, what do we do to people that hate us? And they say we love them, right? The best way to, <clears throat> to desire the salvation of somebody that you don't get along with or that you hate is to pray for them, right? So... The seriously, like I, I'd ask, why in the world are we here sitting in these seats in this room together if we're not on mission together? Like, you guys are my team, and you are each other's team, just one local church, but called to change culture in our area with the gospel, right? The gospel always speaks into dark places. And literally, the gospel can change a culture. And yet, my fear, or my, um, I think it, a lot of it is my, my Americanized way of church or whatever you call it, I, it's just comfort. And so I just want to call us to mission over comfort, mission over comfort, mission over comfort. I've been praying that a lot in my own life lately, just to be mission-driven over comfort-driven because that's our mission, leading people everywhere. I mean, like every man, woman, and child that you run into is your mission. So let's just pray together that we can reach that mission field. God, um, <clears throat> I pray that you will burden us so that we can't sleep at night with a mission for the lost. God, that you would burden us with a mission to see people set free from the penalty of sin and come to salvation in Jesus Christ. God, that salvation doesn't only save us to go to heaven with you for eternity, but it saves us for freedom here on earth when life stinks and when life's good, when life hurts. God, when you call us to things that are not comfortable, God, we, we desire your spiritual blessings, not our physical comfort. I pray that over our church today, God, that um, we would be mission-driven. 
and that we would act in spite of fear. We will be afraid, but you say don't be afraid because you're with us. And so God, empower us in your Holy Spirit to do that. Empower us to be nuts. I mean, like we gotta be crazy people to love on this world. Father, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've got your Bibles or your phone or your iPad or whatever, turn to Genesis chapter 14. All right, it's going to be, part of, part of what we read this morning is going to be on the screen, but I think it's just a, generally a good idea to bring your Bible uh, to church, and it can be on your phone, it can be on your iPad, but whatever you're going to use at home, because we encourage you, we really want you to dig into the Word at home, we want you to, um, to pray a lot and to ask God to reveal through His Holy Spirit what the Word is saying to you, what truth is, right? And so hopefully... You bringing your Bible or your, or, your, or your device and actually looking at it, okay, here will encourage you to do that at home. I just, I hope that happens. Um, today we're going to talk about obedience to the full and what that looks like, the elements of that and what it's not, right? One of my favorite theological, actually my favorite theological word, okay, if you want to sound smart um, in a churchy way, use this word. It's called sanctification, all right? And I've said, I say this all the time, but dictionary.com says that sanctification is a verb, all right? Sanctification is a verb. A verb is an action. It requires an action for sanctification. This is definition number one, dictionary.com. To make holy, set apart as sacred, or to consecrate. And number two, to purify or free oneself from sin. Easton's Bible Dictionary says it this way. Sanctification involves more than a mere reformation of character. It's brought about by the power of the truth. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the whole nature more and more under the influences of the new gracious principles implanted in the soul in regeneration. That's just a fancy way of saying you're made new. In other words, sanctification is the carrying on to perfection the work begun in regeneration, and it extends to the whole man, all right? This is incredibly freeing for me because it explains the tension that I feel in my Christian life because there's a couple things that I know are true, right? I know that when I come to Jesus for salvation, I am, what, I am made new, okay? The old has gone and the new has come. So I know I'm made new. I know I'm a new creation in Christ. And the second thing is I know that I am perfect. I am holy. When God the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus' blood has wiped away my sin, right? But here's the tension. I still sin. I still mess up. Right? If I'm made new and I'm perfect and I'm holy in God's sight, then why the heck do I still mess up and I still sin on a daily basis? Positionally, I am perfect before God because of Jesus. What's happening is I am becoming what God already says I am in Christ. I'm becoming more and more and more like Jesus. I'm becoming more and more and more like what Jesus has made me to be through his death on the cross, and that is holy. But do you ever feel like you're learning the same lessons over and over and over again again from the same 
habitual mistakes and the same habitual sins. Like you would think, I think sometimes, man, you would think I would have learned last time, right? Is that ringing with anybody? Sanctification says that when I mess up, when I sin, I receive God's grace to get back up and keep going, right? But then what should happen as a result of that? I get up, I don't sit in my guilt, I don't sit in my shame because I'm free in Jesus. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I should learn. And I should change my behavior. Because what does Paul say? He says, what should we do? Should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? Because the more, if I sin, if I just keep on sinning, then I'm giving more opportunity for more grace, right? Because I know that God's just going to keep on giving me grace. I know that that's what's true in salvation. But should I keep sinning so that grace abounds? No. By no means, right? Sanctification allows for us to mess up. It allows for sin to actually happen in our life and us to move on in grace. But what should happen is that my behavior should change after a while, right? Because this change in behavior shows that I am being sanctified. It shows it is the working out of my salvation. It shows that I am a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit and yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, right? The cool thing about sanctification is it's not just true about people who have Jesus. It's true about people in the Old Testament, too, before Jesus was ever born, before Jesus ever died, and before salvation was available in Jesus. It was true about Old Testament characters. Essentially what it is, is us growing in our relationship with God. It's a process, and that's why it's freeing. Right, y'all? Y'all are messed up. Like, right? Just like me. We could be messed up together. I mean, like, like, there should be more smiles in the room because we're all messed up together, right? Like, that's freeing. But sanctification is a process. We're be, we are holy, but we're not yet, right? <laughs> that's cool. But this, in Genesis 14, this is the process that we find Abraham right in the middle of. In Genesis 14. Remember, Abraham was born into a pagan nation, and for most of his life, until God called him, he worshipped with his ancestors pagan gods, probably the moon god. But when God called him, he called him to step away from his pagan life, to come out of his pagan life, and to leave the three things that were most precious to him. He called him to leave his people, to leave his father, and to leave his country. And here's the thing. Abraham didn't know this God yet. But he had faith enough that this, guy's, this God is real, and I'm going to obey. So he obeyed initially. Out of a pagan lifestyle, the call, remember the call a few weeks ago. God called him out of a pagan lifestyle to follow him. And so he obeyed. But here's the thing. He was messed up in the process. Remember, he came to Egypt and he said to his wife, hey, you're beautiful, right? And so I don't want these guys to treat me uh, bad because of you and steal you away from me, right? He said, so just please say you're my sister. 
That's messed up, right? And so he said, you're my sister. But in the process, he learned and he grew and he changed, right? He, as a man of God, he grew in faith. He had to learn to trust God as he lived life. He had to learn what it meant to worship the one true God that could actually hear his prayers, that could actually do anything with his worship. Because the gods that he had worshipped in the past were powerless, and they weren't even real. Right? He had to learn what that meant. So here's some context for what's happening in Genesis 14. You remember two weeks ago when Bob spoke about Lot and Abraham separating. What happened was... Uh, Lot and Abraham were together. Their shepherds were fighting against each other. So Abraham says, hey, Lot, why don't you look to your right, to your left. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. And Lot looks to the right, and he sees that it's beautiful and it's awesome, right? And he decides, I'm going to go right, and Abraham goes left. And he does that, but Bob warned us of the futileness of short-sighted decision-making, right? Because Lot chose himself selfishly he chose for himself selfishly and he ended up settling in the city of Sodom and here's what Genesis 13 13 says of Sodom now the men of Sodom were wicked great sinners against the Lord but Lot he settled there okay and as he did here's what happened okay so Genesis 14 at the beginning the first half of Genesis 14 I'm not going to read it to you I'm going to tell it to you okay here's what happened we're about to get some names on all right, now just bear with me because I don't know how to say any of these names, but I'm willing to bet none of you do too, so we'll just be confused together. But if you're looking for baby names, like in the future, this is a good opportunity, and if you have a baby named any of these, more power to you, right? Just, so here we go. What had happened was seven kings were in alliance for 12 years, all right? King of Sodom was one of these for 12 years. And the 13th year, five of these kings, including the king of Sodom, rebelled against the four of these four other kings. Okay? So we have a war that ensues. And here's some names for you. Amraphel, king of Shinar. Ariot, king of Elisar. Shedalomer, king of Elam. And Tidal, king of Goim, came against Bera, king of Sodom. That's where Lot lived. Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela. I didn't even say the name of the king of Bela because it's probably too, confu- too hard to say. Um, long story short is the kings of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, went up against Chedalomer and his three other kings. So five against four, and the five lost, okay? In the valley of Siddim, there was some pits, some bitumen pits that were hidden, and as they fought... The king of Sodom fell in. The king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah fell into these pits, right? And so they were helpless. And the opposing army took all their possessions and women and people, including Lot, kidnapped them, right? So then, one person, a messenger, escapes and ran and get, gets word to Abram. Okay, Lot's been taken. So what does Abram do? He springs into action. 318 of his kinsmen, these were actually people born into his house, right? They were relatives. 318 people he brought to go after these, these guys and get Lot back. And we see that the Lot, I mean, Abram has some battle experience. Like, he's pretty smart. This seems like, this seems like uh, 
um, common sense to us that have seen movies before, right? But he divided and he conquered by night, right? And that was just insanely smart at that time. He divided and he conquered by night. And so ultimately, he rescues Lot. He brings back all the stolen possessions of the defeated kings and the women and the people that were taken along with Lot. So Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. Okay, let's read that together. Genesis 14, verse 17 to the end. Okay, so he has just gone, gotten Lot back, all the possessions, defeated the kings, the four kings that took Lot, and here's where we are in verse 17. After his return, after Abram's return from the defeat of Shadalomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. As this guy, he, Melchizedek, he's a he's an important guy, um, but he wasn't even one of the kings in a fight, right? He just came out to honor Abram's victory. So he comes out with bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. God Most High right there, the word is El Elyon. I want you to remember that, El Elyon. This is a name for God, God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him, gave Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. Of all the spoils, he gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom then came to Abraham, and he said, Give me the persons, but you take all the goods for yourself. But Abraham said, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, that's El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anner, Eshel, and Mamre take their share. Like he's like, these guys went with me on their own will, and so they just need to be, they need to be compensated for it so they can take what they have. But I'm not going to take anything from you, right? Remember how we said that the process of sanctification was true for Abraham too, right? Abraham's response in this situation is, is amazing. I love it. Because here's what we see in Abram's life so far. I mean, we've spent, in the, in the book of Genesis, we've spent the most time on Abram's life. And we're going to go all the way to chapter 19 before we move on from Genesis. But um, here's what we see so far in Abram's life. And here's the one big thing I want you to see. And here's a graphic. I want you to look at this graphic that will help you out. Okay, here's what I want you to remember. Obedience, faith, and integrity. Okay? If you just remember, like, we can call that the obedience wheel or something like that. Okay? Remember the obedience wheel. Obedience, faith, and integrity. And here's how that would read. Obedience is not obedience without faith, without integrity, without obedience, without faith, without integrity, without obedience, without... And it keeps going on and on and on. What that means is none of those things, obedience, faith, and integrity, none of those stand alone. You can't have obedience without faith, without integrity, right? 
Because first, Abram, he's called to leave all that he loved to follow a God that he didn't really know yet. Do you know what it's like to, to be called to give up something that you hold dear for the mission of God? Like, it stinks. It's hard to do. I think a lot of times we look at Abram and we look at, oh, a hero of the faith, right? How is it so easy for biblical characters to have faith on such a strong level, right? What I think we miss out on a lot of the times as we read scripture is the emotion that these people must have felt. But Abram left everything that he had ever known. He left everything that was dear to him, okay? And you can imagine there was some kicking and screaming along the way, like, what in the world? Yeah, I'm going to obey, but this is hard. This stinks, I don't want to do this. But you get to a point when you're more about the mission of God than your own comfort. It's hard to do. So he obeys with faith. If he didn't have faith that God would take him and care for him and give him a promise that he was called to, if he didn't have that faith, guess what? He would not have obeyed. Without faith, he would not have obeyed. And then God reveals his promise to Abraham. Next, Abram travels to Egypt and he tells his wife to say that he's a sister so that he would be spared and would be treated well because of her. But here's the deal. In that situation, he failed to have faith that God could take care of him through a situation that he saw coming, right? So a lack of faith and a lack of integrity. And we'll define integrity as the motives of the heart, right? A pure heart is integrity. He failed to have integrity. He failed to have faith in that situation, right? And he failed to obey. He failed to act in the way that God would want him to act. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So, to obey God, we must believe his direction for our life. Do you, like, do you know that God knows the future? You don't. One of the hardest things to do is to have enough faith to say, God, you know the future. So I'm going to follow. I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to take the next step. Even though I have no idea what's around the next corner, I believe that when I follow God, I can't lose. Right? I believe that. To obey God for salvation is where sanctification starts, right? First, we've got to believe that when God says his son, Jesus Christ, is the only way of salvation to be saved from our sins, we've got to believe and have faith in a man that we have never, ever seen, right? But we believe and we have faith that our salvation is through Jesus Christ, and that drives everything. That drives how we live our life from the moment of salvation on. Obedience becomes faith in action. In our story in Genesis 14, this is a situation, and I love this, because this is a situation that nowhere, I mean, you look in all of Genesis 14 and nowhere, in verse 13 you see that the one who had escaped came and told 
Abram that Lot had been taken. And when Abram heard that, boom, he sprung into action, 318 men, and led them into battle. But nowhere do we see that God actually specifically told him, hey, go and, and fight and I'll be with you. Right? We don't see that here. I love it because this is, an, this is just a thing that happens in Abram's life. Every day, you may not hear. You might not hear. I think a lot of us want to like, see something written in the clouds or hear a revelation from God to tell us what we need to do each day. Guess what? We've already been told. Like This is the word of God, all authority. And it's without error. So we've been told how we're supposed to live. We're not, we may, you may not be told specifically, hey, Nick, I want you to go talk to that person. I want you to go um, give that person food. I want you to go meet this person at so-and-so's house. They're struggling. I, I want you to, you know what? A lot of times, God just calls us to obey in the midst of everyday life. And in this story, Abram obeyed with integrity and faith. See, because he goes and he rescues all the people and the possessions of Sodom, and then he returns those possessions to who? An evil, wicked king. The king of Sodom was an evil, wicked man, because we know from Lot's experience that the city of Sodom was an evil city, and the king of Sodom was a wicked king. But the integrity of Abram's of Abram resolves him to do the right thing. Like it led him to do the right thing because he returned everything to this wicked king so that God would receive all of the glory for all the blessings in Abram's life. He never wanted to be able to give credit to anyone but God for the success in his life, right? I mean, often I want to take credit for myself, right? But I can't. It's not mine to take, right? And so Abram says, no. I've lifted my hand to God most high. Then I'm not going to take anything from you. You just take, you take what's yours because I believe my motives are pure and I have faith. So I have integrity and I have faith, which causes me to obey along the way. He exercised all of these things, faith, integrity, and obedience, in the fact that he trusted that God could provide all his needs, and he didn't need this wicked king's possessions. He didn't need this wicked king's stuff. He gave credit to where credit was due, to God. Obedience is not obedience without faith, without integrity. So you've heard us say before that the entire Bible is the story of God's redemption of mankind because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them, including people. And Adam and Eve were in the garden and they chose and they sinned, which the problem there is it separates. Sin is an offense to God that separates us from God forever, right? And so that needed to be taken care of. So then we see right away he clothes them, he provides for them a clothing because their coverings were inadequate. Our coverings are always inadequate, but God's covering is always adequate for us. And so he provides that covering for them, and then the entire story of the rest of the Bible is the redemptive story of, of, of man to God, man being called back to God, man being made right with God. 
right? Well, this story, it ends with a pretty awesome picture of Christ. Because here we meet this priest and king named Melchizedek. And in, in chapters, in verse 19, he says, it says this, and he, Melchizedek, blessed Abram and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies in your hands. So what does he do? He takes credit off of man and puts it on God where it should be, right? Abram is blessed because of his obedience to God, because of his integrity, because of his faith, Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine and blesses him by God most high. Why? Because he was a man of God. Because he was a man of obedience. God is the one who won the victory and gave Abram's enemies into his hand. But here's Abram's response, and I love this. He gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything, okay? And this is not the tithe that, that comes in the, the, uh, the law of Moses, right? This is a, the word tithe actually means a tenth. But this tenth of everything that, that Abram gives to Melchizedek is out of the overflow of his heart to worship God, right? This was a free will thing. He said, this is a priest of God most high. Here's a tenth of everything I have. Like his heart was overflowing with worship to God in that moment, and he gave a tenth of everything. I love that. We know that they serve the same God because when the king of Sodom offers him these riches, these possessions, he said, I've lifted my hand to God most high, El Elyon. And in the blessing that Melchizedek gives to Abram, he uses the same word of God most high, El Elyon. And he is, Abram is just overflowing with worship in this situation. He obeyed with integrity and faith along the way. He messed up but he received grace for that mess up. You see that? Without faith, it's impossible to obey. And without faith, you're not gonna show integrity. You're not gonna show the right motives of your heart. And without showing the right motives of your heart in your actions, it's impossible to obey God. And without showing integrity, it's impossible to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to show integrity. You get what I'm saying? All of these things are important in our sanctification, in our process. And I love this because right now we see prophecy at work in the, in the person of Melchizedek. He is a, what we call a type of Christ. And Abram's just given him a tenth of everything. We begin to see here the authority that Jesus has to wipe away our sins. And this is cool. I love this. Okay? The authority that Jesus has to give eternal forgiveness, not just one time forgiveness, eternal forgiveness, like past, present, and future sins have been wiped away, separated from us as far as the East is from the West. I mean, that is life changing news. This is why it's called the gospel, the good news, right? I mean, that should rock the way we live and think about life. All throughout the Old Testament, after the law of Moses comes, we see that every year a priest had to go in and make atonement for the sins of the people. And how did he do that? Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. 
So he had to make a sacrifice that included blood being shed for the forgiveness of the people's sins, right? We're about to see that the Old Testament's actually worth something, right? <laughs> I mean, you can read the Old Testament and be like, what did I just do? Because it's boring sometimes, right? But we got to dig deeper and see the redemptive plan of God through all of his word. Because it is cool when you see how it works out. And so early on with Melchizedek, we see that. Hebrews 7, 17 says, For it is declared, you, and this is being said of Jesus, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest and a king. Here's the deal. Not because of his lineage, but because of personal qualifications, just like Jesus. It's interesting that he brings bread and wine to the union with Abram. Now get this. The Jews, when Jesus came on the scene, right? On Palm Sunday, they laid down their clothes and they laid palm branches down for Jesus to donkey to walk on, right? Because they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. What that means is save now. What they expected was for Jesus as the Messiah to set up his earthly kingdom right then and save them from Roman oppression, right? But what did Jesus come the first time to be? He is the king of kings, right? But the first time he came to be priest, Because a priest offers sacrifice for sins, right? But what did Jesus do? He was fully priest and fully king. And when he came the first time, he acted as priest and laid his own life down. I mean, that's authority right there, because what does he say? No one can take my life from me. I lay it down, right? So he, he was willing to die for you. He was willing to die for me. Ugly people, please stand up, right? I mean, that's like me. And he was willing to do that. So he played priest and sacrificed himself as the perfect lamb of God once for all time, never to have to happen again, right? And then in Matthew 28, it says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he tells his disciples, what I want you to do? I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if all authority has been given to him, what's his authority? He's authority as priest to save us from our sins by his own blood, but he's authority as king to rule and reign in our lives and someday... He's going to come back and literally reign as king on earth. That's incredible. A priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Band, you guys can come back up. And this is what Jesus gave us to remember him. Bread to represent his broken body as the perfect lamb of God to take away our sins. Blood shed to take to forgive us of our sins. And I love that. We're forgiven once and for all. So if you know Jesus, 
to come to one of these tables in the front or the back is again to, to remember, is taking the, the juice, is us saying yes to Jesus' offer to us that, hey, hey, remember that? Jesus is offering you the cup and saying, hey, will you marry me? You remember that? Will you marry me? Like, I want to know that you're committed. This is why he gave us these things, so that we could remember him, but that every time we take them, we're saying yes to Jesus. We're saying, yes, I'm committed to you, right? And if you don't know Jesus, then the Bible says that today is the day of salvation, right? And here's what you say to everybody in your life that doesn't know Jesus. Listen, you don't have to know any more than you know right now. Because what you know right now is that you sin and that's separated from you from God. And salvation is in Jesus. That's all you need to know. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know the whole word of God. Because the process of sanctification starts at salvation. Right? You grow from there. Right? So we're going to worship together, and this is just an opportunity for us to remember Jesus and to say yes to our priest and our king. So as we sing together, uh, let's just do that. And I want you to just sit and prepare your hearts to do this just in silence for a moment.